Creation declares my purpose. This is a message that uh, I love to do. I've done versions of this every now and then because we're talking about the sixth day of creation. What did God create on the sixth day of creation? Quick quiz. All you Lutherans should know this. Baptists, probably not. What? Right, man. Man man and animals, very good. All right, were you Lutheran at any time in your life? Lutherans know, like they know the days of creation and they know uh, the commandments all in order. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. All right, so, so I'm, I'm impressed. That's six days. First three days, God formed things. The last three days, God filled it all. He formed the world, formed it, and then he filled it up. And so fourth to the sixth day, God fills it. And here's what he did on the sixth day. Genesis chapter one and verse 24. And God said... Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. When we have people over to our house, we usually spend a little time getting prepared. So we will clean a little bit. Uh, maybe I'll cook my world-famous chili. We'll want, we want to make sure that people, when they come over, they feel welcome, they feel comfortable. When God created the world, he did very much the same thing. He formed the world in such a way so that when his masterpiece came to life, that human being would feel comfortable, would feel, would feel welcome, would have everything they need in order to succeed. The human being is the best thing God created. Everything else was created for the human being. Creation was fit. The entire world, the entire universe, was fit to work for its made inhabitants, which were human beings. Humans were called to use everything in the world to work for them. So God created stuff so that we as humans would use that stuff to make it work better for us. And the purpose in all of this is so that everything we see will have one main purpose, and that is to lead us back to God. That's what it means for God to receive glory. That's why Christians don't take offense at the data points of science but we do take offense at the story science tells. Let me say that one more time. Christians don't, I take no offense at the data points of science. I mean, it's hard to refute those. They're data points of science. This works, gravity works, you know? The water cycle works. The data points of science are straight across the board. What I take issue with is the story science tells about those data points. Christians are pro-science. It's silly for anyone to think that Christians are anti-science. That's an easy way of somebody to put you down. Because no Christian is anti-science. Tell them to walk off an airplane, right? No Christian is anti-science. But what Christians have a problem with is the story science tells. There's two ways you can look at science. 
for us, we would look at science, and our presupposition would be what God says is true. So therefore, we understand science based on what God says is true. The Bible is not meant to be a science book. Can you imagine if it was? I mean, we'd have pages and pages. Photosynthesis alone, we only know a little bit of what that is, you know, and, but we keep finding parts of that, or DNA structure. I mean, we're in, the, we're in the sixth day. We're gonna talk about the creation of human beings. Can you imagine if God took some time to tell us all about DNA? We don't, the Bible is not meant to be a science book, but we look at science with the presupposition that God always tells the truth. That's how we look at science. There is one other way to look at science, and that is through the eyes of culture. And that is the idea that culture always tells the truth. And if you look at science through culture, you can come up with a whole different idea about science, but it's all based on your presupposition. Could you, for instance, come to the conclusion of evolution without scientists telling you where your starting point should be? It wasn't until Darwin, and I think there was one other guy before Darwin, but Darwin actually said it's monkeys that turn us into human beings. That's in the late 1800s. You mean to tell me nobody was bright enough until the late 1800s to figure this out? The only reason we're taught about evolution in that way is because we even call it Darwinism because Darwin came up with it, and it's the theory of evolution. But we teach it like it's true because we look through culture to understand science. God does not intend Genesis to be a scientific rebuttal tool, but there are conclusions that you make depending on your starting point. This also needs to be said. When you look through the scope of God, when you look through the scope of the Bible, and you believe that the Bible tells us what is true, if you look through that scope, it always backs up science. You'll never find a point of time where the Bible actually says something that is scientifically incorrect, unless it's a miracle, like Jesus walking on water, feeding 5,000 with you know, two loaves of bread and five fishes. Then you'll have those miracles, but God bends science. Sarah getting pregnant at 80 years old. God bends science all the time. That's why we call them miracles. But every time you look through the Bible, you find that the Bible always backs up science. However, Every time, it always agrees, every time you look through cultural science, it does not always back up the Bible. Sometimes it does, but most of the time it does not. It all depends on what your presupposition is. Is the Bible telling you the truth? The Bible does not contradict science. Is cultural science telling you the truth? Cultural science will often disagree with what God says in his word. The sixth day is the paramount example of this idea. I'll give you one illustration. How many of you have heard of the Peking Man? The Peking Man uh, was found in China, and this is the skull that we call the Peking Man. The brown parts are the parts we've actually found. The black parts are the parts that we've made up so that we can figure out what the skull looks like. Based on what we found and what we've made up, that's the Peking Man. That's what we believe the first upright walking human being looked like and we call him the Peking Man. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He existed, according to science, when we're looking through cultural science, or when we're looking through cultural science to determine what is true, not through the Bible, we find that this Peking Man is 500,000 to one million years ago. This is probably what he looked like to the best of our ability. We date this find based on what his bones uh, uh, um, read on the radiocarbon dating method, as well as what's found around him. 
So you can find different things around him and you can date those things as well. They call this Homo erectus because this is the first person, the first, in, the first entity that was erect, that walked erect. Um, they say that he looked smaller. He probably was a third the size of modern man. And he lived in caves because that's where the findings of the first civilizations were. Their brains weren't developed, so they couldn't make cities. They couldn't, make or, or couldn't organize people together. And this is the surroundings that you find this guy. So based on science, we look through the, the, the um, microscope of science, and we come up with the Peking men. So here are the conclusions. This obviously means that human beings were, have been on the Earth for 500,000 to a million years ago. Homo erectus, our ancestors. Most scientists would view these as the first modern man because they walked differently than apes. All right? Now, if we look through the lens of the Bible, if we look through the, tele the microscope of the Bible, we come up with something completely different. We find that man did not evolve from a monkey. We find that man was made from the, from the dust of the earth. God created man from the dust of the earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The conclusion then, if we take God at his word, if we go through, the, through God first and then look at science, the conclusion is Adam was made from dust because that's what God says, and he was created in God's image. The presupposition there is that God's telling us the truth. If God is telling us the truth and this was our first ancestor... Then we read in the Bible what the first man was like. Adam was the first recorded human being created. Adam had a wife whose name was Eve. Adam had sons. Two of them we know about, most popular, and then he had more after that, but who are the two most famous ones? Cain and Abel. Interesting. Do you know who built the first city? Cain. You'll find that in Scripture. The son of the very first human according to the Bible, built a city. It didn't take him millions of years or th hundreds of thousands of years to figure out how to build a city. His son built a city immediately. Cain built a city. If you want to read about that, there's a Genesis 4.17. We haven't got time to look at it, but just read through Genesis 4. That also does not mean that human beings never lived in caves. Adam and Eve probably lived in caves. Do you know why they lived in caves? It's drier. <laughs> yeah, your protection from the elements. Even in the, New, even in the Old Testament, people were living in caves, but it doesn't mean that they were cavemen. It means they were bright enough not to lay out on the ground and let the weather have its way with them. They lived in caves. They also lived in shelters, and Cain built a city. Humans were therefore reasoning, thinking, creative individuals. That is, by the way, what it means to be made in the image of God. To be made in the image of God does not mean that they were knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. No monkeys were used in the process. And like we talked about last week, with this theory of evolution that we evolved from monkeys, uh, one of the main ways it falls apart is there's no transitional species. That means that what God says in his word, by the way, remember the verses that we just read, every species created after its own kind. Fish had fish, babies Bird had bird babies, humans had human babies. There's no transitional monkey had monkey kind of like human babies, and those, then they looked more human than monkey babies, and then they were human babies. There's no transitional species that has ever been found, nor, and I'll stake my reputation on this, nor will there ever be. 
because God created things as they were meant to be so that they could reproduce after their own kind, and that includes human beings, the masterpiece. Why God created all of this in the first place? So that he could give us a home. By the way, Cain had kids too, and they lived a lot longer in, in, uh, in the beginning because there was no pollutants in the air. It was every, everything was created by God as perfect as perfect could be. They only died because sin entered into the world, so they lived for hundreds of years. Cain had kids. Six generations after Cain, you know what they were doing? Would that be his great, 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 great grandkids? You can read about this in Genesis, again, Genesis chapter 4. One of his grandkids, great, 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 great <coughs> grandkids, was named Tubal Cain, and he worked with metals, not rocks and, you know, mud. He worked with metals. And Jubal, another great, 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 great grandson, was making music. So when you look through the lens of the Bible, you realize that human beings were a lot more advanced than looking through the lens of cultural science tells us that they were. So we have a conflict, right? Craig, evolution would say that man had to, had to evolve millions of years to get to the stage of building a city or working with metals or developing music. To start with science and not include the Bible, maybe, maybe Craig, maybe there were people before Adam and Eve. Maybe God built a whole civilization before Adam and Eve, and they were knuckle-dragger Neanderthals, and maybe that's where we found all those weird skulls from. Like, we do have the Peking skull. Where did that come from? Or the Java skull. It looks a lot like the Peking one. Big forehead, big, big chin. How do we explain those things? Well, maybe God made a different civilization, and it all went to pot, so he started again with Adam. Maybe that's the case. The problem with that idea, because you're looking through science now to figure out, hey, we got this skull and it looks different from everything else. It looks like a monkey. No, well, let's say it does. Okay, then maybe there was a totally different civilization before Adam and Eve. There are many, many, many problems with that. And all of them, again, are through the lens of scripture. All these people before Adam, if God created a civilization that didn't work, so he started again with Adam, there'd be millions of people before Adam, or maybe even hundreds of thousands of people before Adam. Did they struggle with sin? Hundreds of thousands of years before Adam, was there, was there a struggle with sin? Why was it so easy that Adam and Eve were the first two people God created, and the Bible says they fell into sin? Are you telling me that hundreds of thousands of years went by with people in them and they didn't fall into sin? And if they did, are they not subject to redemption? Are they just written off and they all go to hell? Forget about them. Now let's start with Adam and Eve because they're the best. That goes against the principle of God's heart, doesn't it? To create us in the way that he created us. We're millions of Neanderthals, not subject to redemption. Or why was Adam called the first human who sinned in the Bible? And why did Jesus refer to Adam and as the first human and not the millions of other individuals who lived before him if there had to be millions of years before Adam came along or hundreds of thousands of years? There had to be millions of people in that time. Why then does Jesus not say, oh yeah, let's not forget about those people? Jesus calls Adam the first human. And Jesus, by the way, is called the second Adam in the book of Romans. That's a theological point saying that Adam fell into sin. Jesus was born incarnate without sin and he did not fall into sin. Therefore, redemption comes through the second Adam because the first one screw us up. Why did Jesus say in the beginning God created the